Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey guys, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. Today we're talking about one of the most common questions we get on the show. What is our work-life balance or is it truly possible to have a work-life balance in this industry? Yeah, I get asked this all the time. I think this is a really popular question asked of women, especially Um, And I um, am sort of very now in the throes of trying to figure this out. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Meg, and what I have to say. (laughs) I'm always surprised what I have to say on the show. (laughs) Meaning we're going to figure it out with you. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we call Adventures in Screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? So my week is such a good example of, uh, I don't know if it's a failure of work-life balance or management or whatever, but just... I didn't get much actual writing done. I had a lot of stuff going on. You know, I got my COVID booster earlier in the week. I had a failed attempt to get my kid one. Finally got it this morning. Hurrah. So she's, so I had kind of a day off on Monday. She had one off on Wednesday. She has one off now. So that's been a big opportunity to not get much done. I built a bookshelf. I built it wrong. I had to unbuild it. I had to rebuild it. (laughs) Um, That's what I did yesterday instead of writing. Um, I'm dealing with some family stuff that's very uh, sort of distracting and um, taking up a lot of my emotional energy Mm. and it can be a big time suck, all the research I'm trying to do. Um, On the plus side, I got to participate in a sort of mentor, I think it's a mentorship circle for women in animation, um, which was really cool. I felt really lucky to be able to tell the truth about my experience in animation, the good and the bad. And um, hopefully in telling the truth, sort of uh, educating and inspiring uh, women who want to be in animation. Uh, So that was really fun. Um, And then creative wise, I had my weekly meeting with my friend, David. We've been meeting every week for, I don't know, two years now on Thursdays. And we trade off weeks. You know, I've talked about this before. Um, my project and his project. And a lot of it is project-based, but also sort of where we are in the process and sort of as we're moving around and moving through this industry. And I find it, it's fun, right? It's fun. I get to look forward to it. I do it. It's on the calendar. I've talked about this before, right? We pay each other $25 if we have to miss it and we don't have a good excuse. Oh, I feel I don't remember that. That's good. Oh yeah. So we made, we're, so then, you know, I, it was hard during when I was you know, on set and working on the show because I'd be like, I can't do it. And then it was like, do I owe you $25? No, it's work. It's legit, right? If there's a legit reason, like your mother-in-law's in town, that counts, right? You can skip it. Um, and then I had- So I had, this build the bookcase? No, that wouldn't be legit. No. No, if I was like, I can't <laughs> meet with you because I'm building a bookshelf bookcase, he'd be like, yeah, hundred percent. You're paying me 25 bucks. <laughs> um, but I did take a break yesterday in building the bookshelf to talk to him. <laughs> I did uh, get to work on my project, my animated project. It's really cool. It's coming along, super inspiring. I'm really excited about it. I got to have two of those sort of broad pitch slash conversation meetings you have where you're not really pitching, but you're sort of like throwing out thematic ideas and testing the waters. Um, and for one of those, I don't know, but for the other one, I'm moving forward where I'm gonna now create- Congratulations. Thank you, I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's very, it's an odd project. I don't think it's something the market is begging for, but it's going to sell and be a huge hit. So stand by. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, but I think my week, I didn't get much writing done other than opening up random documents and noodling ideas. And I had put forth this challenge for myself where I was going to write a barf draft in two weeks and I 100% did not do it. Um, And so my, the balance of it is, did I... Did I let these other things, the bookshelf aside, right? Did I let these other things distract me or are they more important because it's my daughter, it's my health, it's other creative things I'm doing. Like I tend to beat myself up, right? Oh, I failed. No matter what I do, I failed at something else, right? So Mm -hmm. 
which is, I think, part of the conversation we're going to have today. So it's hard not to self-talk myself into thinking this week was a failure when making the list of all the things I accomplished this week in terms of my creative life and my family life, I should feel, feel pretty good. I made progress across the board and everything. It wasn't what I set out to do, but I am moving forward. I took action. I didn't just do nothing, which sometimes has its value, which is, I mean, I built a bookshelf. I have physical proof that I did <laughs> something. I'm looking at it right now. Anyway, so that was my week. Meg, Jeff. how was your week? Well, let's ask Jeff. How <laughs> oh, was your Jeff. week? Yeah. You know, it, it's been interesting. You all know I'm in post on a, the feature I directed this summer. And um, I feel like what post has taught me is that, well, first of all, you know, the old adage, you make a movie three times, first you write it, then you shoot it, then you edit it. And it's a different movie each time. Um, but I feel like everything I've learning in post so easily applies to writing. It's just more accelerated and kind of easier to see because it's a faster process. But I feel like the big like spoonful of sugar medicine I've had to swallow this week is that um, you just have to try notes when you get them. And it's easier to do in an edit than it is on the page because it's more work and more destruction when you do it on the page. But you have to try the note because um, in almost every case, Notes that I've gotten that I've been so frustrated by during a call, of course, you smile through it, but you assume it's not going to work. You're resentful at the idea. It feels like it's undermining your creative authorship. Then you try it and it's usually better. And um, it's just the thing where you know you always have the old version. And probably one out of 10 notes I've taken, I haven't liked, so I'm keeping, but nine out of 10 make it better. And it's that interesting thing where all of a sudden the old stuff falls away and you forget it was even ever there in the first place and you just warm up to them. So I think like the lesson is as frustrating, frustrating as it is to get notes, just try it. Always try the note, even through gritted teeth, because sometimes you go get a coffee and come back 10 minutes later and you know, you already know it's feeling better because you tried it. So I feel like getting over the hurdle of presenting the note and just gritting your teeth and trying it sometimes can really be a huge leap forward in your work. Um, it's interesting too. I think I'm learning you're often getting rid of good things too, when you're trying notes. Like, I think I had this preconceived notion that in the edit, I would, by the time you're past the assembly cut in the first cut and you're in third or fourth cuts, the things you're getting rid of are good. They're wonderful things, but they're not the thing. They're not the solution. And mm -hmm. It's you start serving the story gods. You're not serving the writing or the actors or their direction anymore. You're serving this spiritual thing that exists outside of your work that all of you are now bowing down to. And that's the story. So I've cut wonderful moments that I love. It's not like I'm getting rid of garbage. I'm getting rid of beautiful things, but they're ultimately not serving the story in the best, most efficient and impactful way that they could. So I think like taking those notes can be really hard. And you have this preconceived notion that you won't miss the things you get rid of. And you might, they might be really good, but that still doesn't mean they're best for the thing as a whole. So it's kind of my two cents on what I've been learning this week. Yeah, no, that's great. It I is great. And it does can happen yeah. in the script phase too, where you realize, well, I started writing about this with this relationship, but really it's that. And all this stuff I love, if I'm really just focusing on that singular new idea, all of this has to go and this has to reshape, right? Which is all those versions you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and just and remembering- the stuff you love. That's sure. right. And the stuff that's good too. It's, it's interesting. Like I've cut dialogue that I love and I feel like is a really good calling card for me as a writer. But if the movie's better because that dialogue is gone, my writing will seem better. I've gotten rid of great moments from actors that could be great for their reel. But if the movie as a whole is better, their performances will also seem better. So when you serve the story, that lifts the entire boat and everything is made better because of it, even though you're getting rid of wonderful things. Yeah, it happens on set too. Mm -hmm. It You think it's great, it works mechanically, emotionally, and then you hear the actor say it out loud and you're like, oh, wait, there's a much simpler way for me to get there. I could cut yeah. this whole two pages here, right? And so it's, I think it's, the whole process, um, whether it's a note or whether it's something you notice, you're mm -hmm. always rewriting. Evolution. You're, it's yes. an evolution, constantly evolving, evolving, evolving. Yeah. You have to really be emotionally and ready for that. You you mm -hmm. may not like it and uh, it may not be your favorite part, but you have to be ready that that is the nature of the beast that you're, yeah. that you're Which is writing. why everyone is such an important part of the process, right? The director, the editor, 
the production designer, you know, the costume designer, everyone is such an important part because they're adding to that story, the whole mm. story, right? And every time you get more creative input, it sort of sparks something else if you're open to it. Well, it's funny because we got we get questions on the Facebook page like, um, how long does it take you to write a draft? <laughs> and I know that emerging writers have a very legitimate question about planning their life. And so I'm not, so I, it's a legitimate question. But part of me is like um, forever. Like <laughs> it's just how many drafts are you going to write, and and then it's going to go, and you're going to shoot it, and it's going to evolve again, and it just is going to continuously evolve. I stopped right? writing when I wrapped the show last right. Friday. <laughs> when it was delivered. When it delivered, I couldn't give notes anymore. Right. So then I guess I'm done noting and writing and processing it. Right. And it's so. a good thing to think about when you're asking questions on the Facebook page. If you get responses like um, forever and how many versions and everything I just said, that's a great place for you as a writer to say, when am I really asking? Mm-hmm. Am I really mm-hmm. asking when is a draft done? When are you finished? Or am I asking? Um, I don't know. There's a million questions underneath there. Right. Like um, I'm in my 20s. And how many years should I just really get realistic about in terms of having enough samples and things that are ready to go to market? How, what should I give, when do I give it out for notes out for myself? I mean, there's so many other questions within that. So you're talking about goals, right? Establishing clear goals, like when, when should I expect to get here? Or in your experience, when have you gotten here? Yeah, just in terms of if you're getting answers on the Facebook page that feel like people aren't answering your question, maybe it's the question, like really get real mm. with yourself about what you're asking and so mm-hmm. that we can get more specific with you. Um, my week, um, what my week, <laughs> um, what day is it today? Today is Friday. Friday. Um, my week has been working incrementally, like building, 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 getting some notes back, building, building, building. Um, had a moment where it's an ensemble film and suddenly something wasn't working and I'm realizing, Hey, we got to go. I got to go back and look at some, we got to go back and look at some ensemble films there. Maybe there's something off here. And then realizing somebody asked on the Facebook page, well, I said, they asked me about ensemble films. And I said, we got to watch the five best and the five worst. And they said, well, what are those? And, and just from what I'm doing myself right now, I'm realizing there's all different kinds of ensemble films. Like there's the ensemble film where what I'm going to call sit and talk, Right. So Kasdan wrote these beautifully the for weddings and a funeral or the big chill. Like it's really, it's really about multiple people, but the action of the movie is, is, is the relationships and the ins and outs and the mm-hmm. family, right. For weddings and a funeral, whatever. And then there's ensembles that are like a quest and on the road. And we've got to, we're going like Jumanji, right. Goonies, Little right? Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. They're very, they're just different, right? Like mm-hmm. what, so suddenly you're like, well, which one are you doing? So sometimes you're watching ensemble films just in general to realize, oh, there's different kinds, right? And okay, which one am I doing, right? And then how to, then looking at the five best or worst of those, right? Um, And then suddenly you're realizing, oh, uh, I don't know, making this up. I'm doing a war movie actually, because this is like Stalag 13. This isn't just a sit and talk. There's actually a super bad guy, right? Who is putting pressure under us and we have a goal, but we're stuck, right? So that's kind of like a war movie, right? Mm. Ensemble. So they can it can keep getting more and more specific so that you understand the dynamics of the story. All ensemble films, of course, have to have certain aspects to them. And then are you doing an ensemble film that is truly ensemble and that it's four to five different perspectives, which means everybody gets an introduction. Like if you look at Jumanji, every all of those kids get an introduction. Breakfast Club, all those kids get an introduction. Or are you doing, no, this is a single lead, but we're going to occasionally be out in the ensemble, like let's say Wizard of Oz. It's Dorothy's movie, but it becomes an ensemble because she's gathering people and then they all have their arcs and they all have their stuff, right? And they all help her and it becomes an ensemble movie, but really Dorothy's the lead. So there's another, you know, question that you're looking at. So it's really about when you start asking these questions and you're looking at the movies that have come before you, really ask questions and really track that characters, those characters' movements and how they work. And it's always, again, evolving and learning um, as you're doing it. Um, so that was my week in a nutshell. Jess, Jess, <laughs> Jess is here with us. You just finished shooting your movie. I finished shooting a sketch actually that I got asked to do at the last minute for something for, um, 
my screenwriting course that I have now finished. Um, and I'm still in pre-production for my short, which shoots next week. Um, and it's it's very busy. <laughs> um, so I'm glad you and- can get up at five o'clock in the morning to be with us. well and you know I think just hearing Lorian talk about the lack of writing this week that's the same for me the the writing has been more working with my DP and adjusting the script to fit the location a bit more as well which is really simple things like changing the slug lines to be daytime instead of nighttime and you know very very basic stuff like that but it does change the story at times as well well certainly the dialogue um so my did you learn anything in, me did, did you do anything in the sketch uh, did that you learned that you're going to take over to your short uh certainly the timing of things was great we had three hours to shoot the sketch and I know that sounds it's not really uh a writing piece but in terms of scheduling because I'm also doing that um myself for the short because it's a small indie so you do everything when you <laughs> make these um so that really helped and I think it was just a really nice experience to go to a very you know short and sweet set before getting to my main shoot because you know being able to talk to the actors um, it, it was kind of like the first pancake in a way, but it went well. You know, it wasn't that. a bad. It wasn't <laughs> a bad first pancake. It was lovely. The actors were beautiful, and they were writers actually. And one of them is an actor, and the other isn't. So, you know, there was some very wild directing that so you I got, got to, to really. Do. You got to do some great directing of actors in terms of a large. Yeah, and show. and the funny thing is like. I was kind of on the fence about directing. I was going to use my short film as like, do I actually really want to pursue directing in the future as well as writing? Um, and being able to direct on that sketch again, because I had like a mixed experience on my first couple of shorts. Like I loved them, but then I also was just, I think it was because it was the first time I did a short. Um, so I was, you know, in the deep end. Chose to do an ensemble short film as my first one, which was, insanity harder a little bit harder yeah ridiculous like just don't do that if you like you can obviously but I just you know working with nine actors as a first time (laughs) director is just uh I don't know it was too much for me maybe other people will be much better at it but you know being able to direct on the sketch uh just made me realize I do really enjoyed directing as well it was so much fun that's huge that's congratulations I loved how your brain went to all different places before you just said I I do enjoy directing yeah good job (laughs) good Good job job. I got there in a very you got there but you got there and that's all that matters thank you we're gonna hold you to it that's awesome Jess wonderful um all right so I guess we're gonna um do our topic yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lorian, do you want to begin? I know that you have a lot of thoughts about I this. I do. Um, you know, I personally, I have always, I always have a lot going on in my personal life, you know, with my family, um, what's going on inside my head all the time, um, which I think is a big part of the sort of the work life conversation. And it's more than just it's sort of defining what life is, right? What is that? And when you're a writer, there's so much overlap. And it, especially if you're at home um, and I get asked this question, you know, how do you find balance? And I sort of developed this very glib sort of, there is no balance, you can't find it. And I would just move on. Um, and I was at Austin Film Festival and I, did this really bluntly at one of the round tables and I could see the woman that asked me sort of like, she's, she said, but I, I do want to have kids. And I, I didn't say anything because I didn't have anything else to say. And I was recounting this story to another panelist and she called me out on it. She was like, you know, I, I had a meeting once with a very powerful female showrunner who said to me and other showrunners, um, if you want to be a showrunner, you can't have kids. And this really sort of affected me because that is essentially what I was saying, 
when I was saying there is no work balance, work-life balance. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm, I'm being so flip and glib and funny and ha ha and real, right. It's I'm being real by saying this, that there is no balance, but really I'm, I shut down the conversation and that's not fair to the people who I've said it on the show. I've, I've been saying this all over, right. This is sort of part of my pattern, my brand, if you will brand who says that anyway. Um, but I, I had, I had to really think about this and when somebody's asking me that, they're not asking me for the answer. They're asking to engage in a conversation about it. They're asking me to talk about my experience, for me to ask them questions about what they want, what they hope to get out of being a writer and a parent or other, maybe you're taking care of an elderly parent or a spouse or a brother um, or anyone. And all maybe of that, you're not taking care of anyone, but you have a really yourself. heavy duty job. You're 25 yes. and you've got a job that's super demanding. Yeah. So I felt... I felt I didn't even have time to feel shame about this because I so immediately was like, I got to figure out what this is, why I talk like this, why I dismiss it. And I realized because I, uh, I don't know what the answer is. And it is really hard to evaluate it something when you're actively in it every single moment. And I don't know how to do it. It is a, there is for me, balance means equilibrium means you've cracked something means that there is some answer, right? Balance. It's such a lofty idea and I have never been able to achieve it with anything. So in my experience, there is no balance, but what are we really talking about? Right. We're really talking about how do you manage, or maybe there's some other word, but you know, how do I look at all the things I have on my plate and decide what needs my time and how much of my time and how do I pivot throughout the day? The bookshelf really fucking needed to be built. It had been sit, sitting in my living room for two weeks. I wanted to finish my office reorg. It was became a priority for me to finish my office, right? And yes, I could have done it on a weekend, but then I'm taking away time from my family, right? From my time I spent with my daughter. So sometimes I make good choices, sometimes I don't. But I was really appreciative of, and the woman who I was talking to didn't call me out like, you're wrong, you're bad. She just added to me recounting that story. And it was me who felt like, oh, I need to investigate this. So it wasn't like a nasty being called out, but it was like, I got checked and I felt ready to deal with it. And I think that's, and I just met her and I just respect her so much for engaging with me in that way. Um, but it really did make me think about it. I posted on Twitter about it. I posted on our Screenwriting Life Facebook page about it. And I still think about it a lot because so much of it is about mental health and not just clinical diagnosis, anxiety or depression or other things that might be going on, but just this voice we have in our head, especially I think as American women specifically that we are supposed to be doing, I don't know, a list of 6,000 things a day and we're supposed to be everything to everyone and that we can lose ourselves in that conversation. Um, and sort of where well, I, do we find ourselves in it? Where can we prioritize ourselves and what we want? Well, and I think, you know, it is about priorities. It is about your values and your priorities. And those will sh shift in terms of today, my kids don't need me. I mean, during this, my kid might literally run up here when he gets back from school. But, you know, that's you know, everybody at work now. Every, what I love about Zoom is that everybody's kind of flown with that, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. th those that it those boundary lines between home. I literally was just on a zoom this morning. All of a sudden the fire alarms went off in my house somewhere. And I was like, <laughs> well, I guess I have to go figure out if there's smoke in my house. Bye. And I just like went off and they're like, bye. See you later. Like it just, it's getting yeah. a little bit more flowy. But I was talking to my, my therapist a couple months ago and her two-year-old just came toddling into the zoom. And she's like, sorry, his dad's supposed to be taking care of him right now, but I guess I'm taking care of him right now. And I, I was like, I, that's I think right. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think it's allowing everybody to be more real about this, that this kind of 1950s idea of the segregation of it and the boundaries and that just wasn't ever real anyways and we were all just pretending I mean maybe it was real for 1950s men because they had women supporting them but that all of that is breaking down for everybody men too right like my husband has time management issues just as much as a dad right just as much as getting focused um I do think having support is important 
meaning I, I mean, emotional support, i.e. people who are asking you, you know, how is that, how's it going that work? You know, you're a great mom. And, but it, we also care about you as a writer. We care about your dreams and are you doing it? I think that kind of support is good. I think actual physical support is necessary. Like, could I have done what I've done without my husband taking, being partnership with, with my kids? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I hope I could have found support in another way, either by hiring a nanny or whatever I would need to do. Um, so I'm not at all saying you have to be married, but if you're not married and you're a single mom, how are you giving yourself support to do what you need to do? Even if you're quote unquote, not earning money from it, that's also super hard, right? Like, do I deserve to hire a babysitter so that I can go and chase this writing thing. Well, then I'm against my kids. I'm spending money. Like I can hear the whole diatribe mm -hmm. of why you shouldn't do that, but you should do it because it is your dream. And you know, when I was leaving my kids to go up to Pixar to write on inside out, I remember dropping my son off at second grade or third grade. And I started to cry and he said, mama, what's wrong? And I said, well, I just feel bad that I'm leaving you. I'm going to miss your whole week. I'm going up to Pixar and I'm I, maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, me doing this. And he said, you know, mama, I think you should go because it's your dream. And someday I hope I have a family that helps me get my dream. Aww. So he learned mm -hmm. about support and that he even as a third grader could support me in appropriate ways, which is that I want you to get your dream mama. Um, so I do think you can be teaching your kids other things by taking that time, right. For yourself, spending that money on yourself. Um, and built within that is the ability to ask for help yeah. built within that balance or let's not even call it balance within that uh the balls in the air right you you know i i, I was i love to listen to um psychology stuff and podcasts and i listen i take these courses on psychology just because i love it and they're now realizing that the inability to ask for help is a trauma response Gosh, I wonder why I write about trauma so much, Meg. <laughs> it is a trauma response. So uh, if you need help in order to pursue both things in your life, then ask for help. It, again, it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a mate. It could be any, there's a million different ways to ask for help. Um, and if you are finding it hard to ask for help to create this balance or create this, what are we going to call it, Lauren? We have to find another I don't word. Know. We need a, we create. need a word. Is it, it's not if management and communication seem so far away, right? This so dance, distance. let's call it the dance in the order dance. to, in yeah. order to do the dance. Um, you know, if you are unable to ask for help, I can't help it, but tell you that's a trauma response. Go dig into that. Cause that's some good lava in there, mm -hmm. right? There's some good lava in there that to ask for help makes you all wiggly, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think's going to happen? You're afraid you're going to get rejected. Are you afraid, you know, like that's, there's good stuff inside there. So, and I do remember Lorian once uh, you and I having a conversation when you were overwhelmed in the dance by home, the, the steps that were needed to be taken for home. And um, I had to be a good friend and say to you, I know, but this is your job. Yep. I remember and I, that. I do think that sometimes we don't, even if it's not your job, I, you're being paid for it. It is your job if that's what you want. And it's your job to the writing gods who have ordained, like you have to take it a little bit more seriously. Cause I think that's the other problem with writing. Like if you wanted to be a lawyer, you would have to go to school, which is get out of your house. And you have a, a you have a teacher, you would have to take tests, which you have to study for. I mean, you're going to have a test for God's sake. You're going to eventually go into a law firm in which you're going to have bosses and cases and all, all of that creates boundaries for you. Because I, yeah. there's people literally waiting, tick tock, tick tock. And as a writer, you don't have any of that. It's all self-created. And I'm not saying you have to create that level of boundary, but you do have to get better at those kinds of boundaries. That conversation we had was on the very first show we sold together. And it was my first experience in TV ever. And I was supposed to have done some work over the weekend because you couldn't and our other writing partner couldn't. And I had agreed to do it. It wasn't like I was assigned it. It was like, okay, I'll do it. And I didn't do it. And I was completely overwhelmed with personal stuff going on, but I used that as a way to let the fear of failure blow me out. And I admitted, I said, I didn't do it. And you said, this is your job. And you, and it was very clear 
right? And it wasn't that I disappointed you that was that that sort of that it stuck with me. It was, oh, this is my job. I am getting paid for this. I do get to take myself seriously in this. And that's what I learned that it wasn't about disappointing you or even myself. It was like, I get to take the power about this. And then years later, you and I were working on another TV show and my husband had a heart attack. And that week, I think we had a script due and I wrote it and I did it. And not that I'm suggesting that my husband has lots of health problems. So it wasn't like it was the first time something like this had happened. So I knew how to navigate that a little bit in my head, but um, it was my job and I did it. And he was safe. My daughter was safe. Everyone was appropriately taken care of. I hadn't abandoned anyone or anything. I had secured that it was all taken care of. And then I wrote the script actually three times <laughs> in three different <laughs> ways. Um, and it, it may have been because I was so in the lava of my personal life that I could finally get at something in that script that we Yes, were so for sure, I bet. Yeah. But I also hear you say that be careful when you're asking questions about work-life balance that you aren't actually using yes. the imbalance in the dance to as an excuse to not commit to yourself because yes. you're afraid of failure. Because it's much easier to say, well, you know, I just, I, I, I couldn't do the dance but then you never know. You never know if you would have yeah. succeeded. You never know if you would have failed. And that can be family. That can be a high pressure job that you're trying to do at the same time. That could be you're a single, you're a mom at all. That's your job. Your job is to be a mom. That's a big job mm -hmm. or a dad. If you're a stay-at-home dad, that's a big job. I totally get that. And that is an important job. All of those other things, earning money at your job, being a parent, all of that is super important, but you are important too. The trick and is you yeah. will disappoint people. Sometimes you are yes. going to drop balls. And I think that's why we want to call it a dance because in the dance, sometimes you're going to slip and fall right on your ass and you're going to let down the job and the family and yourself and everybody. And it's going to happen. Part of this is just acknowledging that will happen. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah, it doesn't, it just, a... it just is an event. It just happened. Yeah. I couldn't go on a family vacation this summer that had been planned and booked because I ended up getting a job and I had to be on set during that week. Nobody was well, how beautiful that your daughter got to find out as much as she was disappointed that sometimes that's okay for her to do sometimes. Like sometimes yeah. if you fall on your ass, what your kids learn is mm -hmm. that it's okay for them to fall on their ass. Yep. It, like it, they're it watching a great you. time, right? And she had a grandma's and a cousin and her papa there. And I was sad I didn't get to go, but I had to work. And know? she also got to find out about her dad and those people when you're not around. And I'm sure it was slightly different. Yeah. And so she got to learn something. So there's always, there's all, sometimes you not being available isn't all bad, right? So, but again, shit's going to happen. You're going to fall down. You're going to drop some balls. You know, I heard once, I don't remember who said it, you know, you just have to decide which balls you really don't want to drop, which are the fragile glass ones versus the rubber balls. Like, does it matter that I didn't go to the grocery store today? Not really. Like everyone's going to survive. I can do on Instacart, whatever, right? Do, do my teenage th sons think it's fucking total disaster that I did not go to the grocery store? Yes, they do. Right. <laughs> am I taking that on as reality? Like I'm a bad mom. No, I am not. I'm like, I hear you. You're disappointed that there's nothing to eat. But you know what? Here's the credit card. There's the grocery store. You're 18 years old. So time to go to the grocery store. That's also that can happen once your kids get older, by the way. Mm -hmm. And again, if it's your boss and you, right, you know, I'm mentoring a young woman, um, Caitlin, who I love and think she's a beautiful, wonderful writer. And she's taken a pretty high pressure job in Hollywood, um, which is super smart in terms of contacts, right? But it means that she's having to give up a lot because she's having to write when she's exhausted and she's not going to the parties. And she's trying to tell kids coming up from college where she came from, this is the reality of being a writer when you're gonna take these jobs. You have to know that that's part of it. You're going to take it on at night. You're gonna take it on on the weekends. Um, do How bad do you want it? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. honestly, everybody's going to have to do that in terms of that 20 year old uh, dilemma, which is equally valid, right? It's much easier. And you should occasionally for sure go to the party because your writing will be better. You can't only, you can't only work and write. That's the other thing you, that's what I want your support group to around you to say, you know what, you need a break. 
You need to go. You need to procrastinate. You need to put your bookshelf together because it was working in your mind. I can feel any- validated. <laughs> well, can anybody tell you, you, you did that to avoid, you did that to percolate? No, only you know that. And sometimes you avoid. Dudes, this morning, I decided I needed to look at the CVS weekly trip thing about the Christmas coupons <laughs> because I was so overwhelmed by the story imploding that I was like, I, I'm fuzzing out right now. I'm fuzzing yeah. out. I'm just going to go and look. is that helping my family? No. Is that help? Cause I'm going to bring more Christmas crap into this house. Is that helping my writing? No, it is not. I'm looking at Christmas fucking coupons, but I don't know. It mentally helped me look forward. <laughs> it's tricky. <laughs> it's just tricky. So it's tricky. When you're in the dance, knowing uh, like the should voice, right? So like I spent earlier this week working on something that is very important to my family and it should help, uh, my writing and my life and my well being. Should I also have carved out more time to write, right? The should of it. And it's like, I don't have perspective on those things in the moment. Sometimes I might have perspective about it in two weeks or next week. Um, I just think as long as you do get real and authentic with yourself at some point, and really if, if you, in two weeks, you're like, you know what? I made that, mm-hmm. I made that Facebook thing. And then I got scared. Mm-hmm. That's the truth of it. I, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's what happened, Lauren. Then you have, that is our, our responsibility to look at that. Mm-hmm. I do the opposite. I get too busy. I take too much on. And I'm getting to a point where I have to kind of confront that now. What am I trying to avoid that I keep myself beyond busy so that I have no time to think, let alone rest, right? And what toll is that taking? Um, And why do I do that? So as long as you're constantly at some point, at some point when you can asking those questions, taking some quiet time for yourself to really look at yourself and what choices you're making, the rest of it is just life to me. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that, I don't know anybody who is doing this dance quote unquote perfectly because I think the very act of the dance is imperfect imperfect because mm-hmm. you're teaching other people things like when you have to say no to a part of your job maybe they value you more right you don't know the ripples of that you just need to take care of yourself and do the best dance that you can and I also want to say so much of this dance which we're of the work-life quote-unquote balance the work-life dance we beat ourselves up so much about it as if there is this perfect dance that everybody else is doing and if I could figure out the dance perfectly then for sure I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to be successful and that ain't true either and the beating yourself up I think we think it motivates us and I don't think that's actually true they've actually done studies now that it doesn't actually motivate you as well as self-compassion that self-compassion yeah. is actually a much better motivator. And I would say, especially for writers, because self-compassion opens up the heart to the writing versus the beating up. I don't know that it's opening you up to the best writing and the best flow. I Listen, speaking as a person who beats myself up and uses panic as my main motivator, I'm kind of talking to myself right yes. now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm trying to celebrate this week what I was, like I said at the beginning, what I, what I actually, how I moved forward in certain areas. And some of it was work and some of it was my life. And some of it was some parts in between, but I feel better about where I am on Friday than where I was on Monday, right. In different levels of different parts of my life. Did I do the barf draft? Like I intended to No, but I had an excellent meeting and I'm moving forward on a project I really care about, this passion project. Oh, and then I just remembered, I actually have a paid writing gig that I forgot about that I'm starting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, and I have to write next week because I'm getting paid to do an assignment, you know. Because I would have to say, that is very much the life of a writer because you're constantly <laughs> scattering seeds. 
because you don't know what seeds are going to root and they all need water. They all need sun. They all need, okay. We have so many metaphors, dancing seeds, but you know what I mean? We're, we're, the sunflower. we're, we're, we're the we're, sunflower. This is such bad writing. Dances in the wind. It comes right. has seeds but in it. I, I mean, that is sometimes it's fallow because the seeds aren't sprouting and you have to do more and you have to give yourself deadlines and you have to write something. And then sometimes they all start sprouting at once and you're like, Oh my God. Right. So that is just part of being a writer too. The very, is, there's a, I would, I would recommend you start planting some seeds. I would recommend you put boundaries around writing time and that meaning you are a priority. It is something you want and you are valuable and you deserve it. And I would give yourself a break when you fall on your ass and you've dropped a ball and somebody's upset with you about it, be that your boss, your mother, your kid. And hopefully if they value you and your dream, they'll get it and you've got your support system. Um, and go ahead. And Jeff, I know that you also had yeah. uh, some input here that I want to make sure to get. I have one more point to make Meg, what you talked about is these friends. I think, uh, in this women in animation circle that I was invited to talk out, you know, they were asking me, what tools do you have to manage all this? And I said, what we always say, which is find a community, find friends who reflect you back to you, who actually see you, who can say, Lorian, it's your job, or you're getting overwhelmed. I've seen this pattern in you before. You need to take a break, right? Who, who can, when you lose yourself in this dance, that they can say, hold on, this is, this is the dance you're doing, and these are the steps, and this is who you are. For me, I would not have be able to do anything with that though, without that, with this group of people who see me and then reflect me back. They don't tell me who I am. And it's not so much reminding me who I am. It's that I get to see myself through you, Meg, Jess, Jeff. I get to see myself through you, which is so grounding. And then it, it just reminds me. So yeah, you are reminding me. Gosh, I'm good with words, you guys. Hi, I'm a writer. Um, I was literally but, just but that, thinking how eloquent everything both of you have said today is, but I interrupted you. Seriously, <laughs> I'm like- Word salad. It's yeah. like nonsense coming Jeff, out of my face. Jeff, and you had a thought on this. I want, yeah. I want to get to that. Yeah. Truly, the first thing I want to say is like, I do think both of you have just spoken so beautifully on this. One of the things, Lauren, that you started with saying that really has made me think is like, what is life? Like, how do we define that? Because what's complicated about the artist's journey is um, so much of what we do is also tied in, tied up in our life. And, you know, like that moment where you choose to go to the grocery store or don't choose to go to the grocery store might show up in your script tomorrow. So that can be confusing too. Cause I think, you know, if you're a lawyer, you, not to, that's also a humanities job, right? There's a lot of your life that's tied up in that too, but there's an element of going, closing the door, leaving and coming back where I think that's not as clear when sometimes, especially when you're a writer. And I think all of this has been profoundly muddled by COVID too, because the, just the distinctions between offices and home and work and time have all kind of been blurred. So I think, I don't know if that's a helpful contribution to the conversation or not, but I think that's kind of where I'm at it. You know, one of the things I'm facing, and I'm wondering if you, either of you face this too, is I can get a little addicted to it. Um, and like the other day I was like really deep in this edit and Lauren, I had a date night planned and I feel like she had to like pry me out of the chair and it was the right thing for me at that time to leave, even if I didn't feel like it was. So I don't know. I think sometimes also having those voices of telling you it's okay to take a step back and you might need this is also really valuable. Well, knowing yourself well enough to know, and this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. This is a lifelong pursuit to know yourself well enough to know Am I so into this because I'm so passionate? I'm so in, I'm in the flow. I got to stay in the flow. I'm just, you know, the we're in the flow, man. Sometimes you don't want to step out of that. You're in it. It took you days to get in the river. You want to just go and flow, right? And then sometimes to know, no, this is panic. <laughs> this addiction is panic. And I actually got to get away from it. And I think that that's just know yourself. Like when I was in Greece years ago for my sister's wedding, we went to the oldest tomb uh, in Greece, which was pretty old people. And across the top, it said one thing, know thyself. And I do think so much of this dance we're talking about is depends on who you are and your situation and that you need to know yourself 
And I don't mean, we don't know ourselves. This is the point of writing. This is the point of living. You're going to get to know yourself every day in a new way, right? And you're going to know your character. And But just to know, is this addiction? Is this um, panic? Is this, and you know, I also want to say about that flow, um, you know, come on, Jeff, you're, so much of your life has been helping and supporting other people and you have a chance to edit your movie. Of course you want to just stay there. Right. You know, so much of our lives is fractured into tiny moments of giving and in tiny moments of grabbing a moment for ourselves. And finally, you have an excuse. I'm editing a movie. You mm -hmm. get to be in the flow. And I love that your wife also was able to come and caretake you and say, let's, let's, you know, take a break. Mm -hmm. Cause by the way, that's good for editing too. You got to get out of it so you can even see it. Right. right? So it is just that dance and um, you're not always going to do it right. But if you are addicted to it, just be careful that it's not because of panic addiction, right? Like I just have to, if I stay busy enough, is it about avoiding other things? I think that's right. And just quickly to reiterate that too, I think it can be panic or it can be this sense of, I want to, I don't know if this is going to make sense. So I'll try to phrase this as eloquently as possible, but like imposing an identity on you to feel like you're something. I don't know. Like, I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, no, I have to be an editor at all times. Cause right now this is what I did. I made this movie. And if I don't do this, who the hell am I? I'm just a person in Los Angeles, confusedly walking across the streets, you know? So it's like, I think there can be something to be said too about making it's identity is a complicated thing as an artist, because on one hand, you have to declare you're a writer. But on the other hand, that can't be the all of it because then you fall down a hole and it just, it can get messy. Yeah, I think that's sure. really important, right? Yeah. I'm a writer. I'm proud of being able to say that, but I'm also a lot of other things. In addition, I'm a mother and a daughter and a wife, but I'm also a me, whatever that is. You know, how do you say that, right? How do you define the whole person? I'm a whole person, right? And what my legacy is going to be is more than just what I'm writing. Well said. And I also want to just add to the conversation that... Um, Historically, women have had to be creative in small bits between doing everything else they had to do, but be that weaving tapestries or um, all the beautiful things that women artists have done throughout the centuries that generally men would have women supporting them so they could go in and write their novel for the whole day, right? Uh, that has not in the, historically been a woman artist for right. experience. And look where they have done it. They have done it in small chunks. So I say that to both males and females as inspiration, which is you don't need eight hours a day of writing in order to achieve something. Women artists have proven this over centuries that you can, um, if you don't, if that's not available to you uh, for whatever reason, uh, that's okay. You can get a lot done in an hour a day. You're gonna be shocked how much you can get done in an hour a day. And eventually someday you're going to have to ask for more. Eventually someday it'll become your job. And now it is your job to do it for a certain amount of time. You will decide your own schedule. That's the other question we always get, right? Like, when do you write? When do you not write? You know, Ursula Gwynn's beautiful schedule of she starts at 7 a.m. and ends at one and that's it. I was like, oh my God, I would love if that could be my life. There is no way in hell that could be my life. I got kids to get to school mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, but oh, I would like, can't wait till that's why I can do that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean, you know, what she's saying is I give it these hours and then I stop and I let myself go be something else and do something else, right? Which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, so however you can do it, if you're an emerging writer, I want you to do it and know that even little bits come together and they will, you'll get a lot done. If that's the only balance of this dance you can get uh, is an hour a day. If you can just get 20 minutes a day in the dance that you're in right now, mm -hmm. I want you to do that. I want you to yeah. do that 20 minutes. You are going to be shocked how much is going to erupt in 20 minutes. And then what can happen is that thing that you thought was so important that you had to do that you only had 20 minutes you might hit a vein of great, brilliant juice. And suddenly that other thing isn't so important. Listen, it might be this pick up your kid from school, obviously, but it'll still go be working. Go pick up your kid from school. They should do that. From school. But it's still going to be working in your brain or you have to go to work, right? Or you have to go to school or whatever, but it's still going to be working that 20 minutes. It's still going to be working over in your head. And suddenly you're not going to go to that party at night because you want to get back to it. So those beautiful thing, things can erupt and flower. So many metaphors. Oof, but, Meg, you're on a roll. I know. I so would, now okay, I'd here's, what, here's my request of any <laughs> visual artists 
that are listening to this, please create a picture of all the metaphors that we have said on oh this my God, episode. No, yes. Don't. Please draw all the metaphors that we have said, oh and I will God. print it out and I will hang it in my office. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So we have lava, we have dancing, we have plants, sunflowers, uh, and we have rivers balls and- in the air. Okay, but okay, pick your metaphor, people. Pick it. I don't care what it is. Uh, just know you're, you know, you're not alone in this. We're all trying to work out the balance every yeah, day. I will say there's something I, you know, you see like advice for working moms, which is get up at 5 a.m. You know, that yeah. always pisses me off. Like somehow yeah. I have to be the one to sacrifice my sleep to carve out time for myself. And it's like, or maybe something else can slide. And again, right? if that's what you want to do. Like I got on that Slack at 6am with our listeners mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I got so much done mm-hmm. and I just do not literally have the physical energy to do that now because yeah. my other work is so demanding. Isn't it weird? You guys, like when you're writing, I'm literally, my ass is in a chair all day long. I'm exhausted yes. at five o'clock. I am literally physically exhausted because of the mental power it's taken to be doing this deep story work and all the layers and things like, and so it is physically taxing. I know it's, I, I just find it stunning every time. How tired I have sciatica I in both butt cheeks right now <laughs> from sitting. So I just want everyone to know that like, I've hurt myself. This is the second time I've hurt my butt by sitting on my ass and writing in like a month. Oh my God. So it's a writing injury and it's a real funny. thing. <laughs> Last thing I want to say at the beginning of this conversation, Lorian, you were like inventorying your week and you threw out is getting my daughter vaccinated a good reason to not necessarily be writing. And I'm here to tell you, yes, yes making yes, the choice yes. to protect your daughter against yeah. the pandemic that's ravaging the globe <laughs> is a good, it's good usage of your No, time. I am so excited. I was that crazy parent, like woohooing around and like clapping the other kids. Like, absolutely. And everyone was like, great. I love your enthusiasm. And I'm like, woohoo. So, you know. I probably just blew out all the mics on the show, but it's whatever. great. Worth it. Worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. I think we were going to take a question of the week, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't read these. So someone who did, <laughs> I will read it right now. Ready? Okay. Uh, this question, who does this question come from? Jeff, Jess, you know, we'll, we can uh, pick it up. It's from this, Nathan. It's Nathan. from Nathan, one of our brilliant listeners. Um, oftentimes when discussing writing scenarios where a story is being broken into a group like Pixar Brain Trust or a TV writer's room, the experience is frequently described as a lot of fast-paced ideas until one sticks that suits the writer and or the room. And Meg has spoken about the notion of failing fast, especially at Pixar. But when you now find yourself writing on your own where you don't have that group of other ideators, ideators, I like that. It's like a band name. Um, <laughs> are you as fast coming up with alternative ideas because you've had the group experience? Or if not, how do you replicate that in order to find the best ideas for your individual script? I do think being in those rooms does train your brain to throw like that. And so it does, even on your own, you can start throwing. Um, but it's never the same because you don't have the perspective that all those people in the room have, which meaning they aren't deep in the muck and the bog with you so they can see things um, or they're coming at it as an artist. So they're gonna maybe in that moment be looking for something visual, right? How, how would they draw that? And some of the other things start coming up. So it's for me, it's never the same. And yet for me also, there's a beauty to being alone because you really get to explore something deeply over a period of time and really give it all of its do all of its depth. Sometimes when you're in those rooms, those ideas are just moving by. And uh, sometimes you circle back even years later to another idea that went by uh, that it just didn't have a chance to root. God, so many metaphors. So I'm just, uh, I'm just feeling, so I'm just saying, so it's both, but there's a beauty to being alone. And if you're asking how, when you're alone, can you do this you know, iteration of, of going, um, you can do it when you get stuck by doing, I literally have said to some people, okay, I want, I want a hundred ideas of what can happen here. And you literally are going to get stuff like an alien lands and steals the dog. What? Cause it's like a hundred ideas and you're going to be really stupid ideas, but there's always going to be a couple that are like a little bit shocking to you that you haven't seen it that way. Or I have the character do the exact opposite of what I thought they were going to do. So if I've written the whole outline so that she walks away 
well, what happens if she does it and she walks in? Just as a way to really jar your brain out of the shoulds and the have tos. Um, uh, so sometimes I do those kinds of things, those kinds of exercises, but of course the best way is to give it to people to read. <laughs> I, I am such a verbal processor. So I don't actually know what I think about something until I say it out loud sometimes. Um, so I, uh, go for walks and I blast like Depeche mode and then I have the mask on. So I talk to myself. Uh, it helps me. And then of course I forget what I've said because my brain is Swiss cheese, but it helps me to find, cause when I say it out loud, I have a feeling in my body. Is that the truth? Is that direction I want to go in? Um, and then I like type it into my phone really quickly. What I, what I think, but I, you know, part of me working on my bookshelf was talking out loud to my, well, swearing at the fucking bookshelf because <laughs> I nailed it inside out and backwards a bunch of times, but it was talking out loud what I was going to do in my meeting that yeah, later I think that that's afternoon. super important. I, I, know, I practicing, I, I practice I, in my car. I talk to myself in the mirror, not about how I look, but what I'm saying is yeah. it real. Yeah. I think oh. that being able to pitch your idea is super important, not from a pitch standpoint. I'm not talking about mm -hmm. pitching. I'm mm -hmm. talking about being able to talk about your idea. And I can't remember if I've ever mentioned this story before, but when I was producing a first time director's movie, I was working with Jodie Foster and pretty much immediately she found the production designer she wanted. And Jodie said, no, she's got to meet three more production designers, A, because you never know. And B, because she has to keep talking about her story. She has to keep being able to iterate it and talk about it to somebody else because she'll get to know it better. Mm -hmm. So I do think being talking about your story to other people, even if you, they, they don't have time to read a script, they don't have time to read anything for you. Can they jump on the phone with you or sit on a Zoom with you? And can you talk? Can you t tell them the story? Mm -hmm. You're going to know from flat eyes or when they lean in or when they, from body language, you'll know, you'll, you'll also be like, and I just said that and I know it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So let's put a pin in that because yep. I don't, you know, and if they know that's where you are in the process. I mean, Lori and I do each other, do this for each other. Mm -hmm. um, well, we just you know, talk it out. So mm -hmm. talking it out can bring in those other voices uh, yeah. and really help you know your story better. Yeah. But there is something magic about being in a writer's room, being mm -hmm. in a group and just like other people getting ideas from your ideas. And then it's sort of turning into something really magic, but and you it can, can get there on be, your own. It yeah. can also be utterly frustrating because mm -hmm. you spent three weeks building something and somebody throws in a night question and you're like, oh my God, the whole thing just fell down. Mm -hmm. um, it needed to fall down and <laughs> you're got, you know, it needed to fall down, but there is part of you that's like, ah! I hope we answered the question. Um, yeah. And you know what? I do think we can start to think about exercises you guys can do to see angles on your script. Um, I think that's a good thing that uh, we can put on our list of things to do for you guys. Um, happy to do that. Um, but yeah, that's also why you get notes. Um, all right. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, join our Facebook group and, uh, and get part of the conversation. Yep. And we have our very first Patreon workshop on November 17th. So if you haven't signed up for the Patreon and you're interested, go check it out. So please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Uh, it really does help. And you may hear your review on the show. Because Jeff Graham likes to do that. I do. <laughs> We're getting close to 500. That's I initially added 1,000 reviews as the end of the goal uh, for the year. May have been a little ambitious, but I like I, I like the expectation. Yes, I think 500 is definitely doable, especially at this rate. So keep them coming, guys. They um, we're a missional show, and they help other people find us. So we really appreciate it. And remember, you are not alone. And please keep writing. Thanks to all of you who are listening right now to The Screenwriting Life. Thanks to those of you who tune in every week. Uh, we truly do this show for you, and we couldn't do it without you. So thanks so much. And as I mentioned, and as Lorian mentioned in the episode, uh, Wednesday, November 17th is our very first Patreon workshop. We'll be doing a live virtual Zoom Q&A with Meg and Lorian. So it's kind of your chance to get on a Zoom with them, ask them your questions, quote-unquote, in person and really kick off our Patreon. We have a lot of really exciting ideas that we'll be doing for workshops at the $20 tier. Uh, and if that's a steep barrier for entry for you, we're also really liking what we're doing at our $5 tier. We're doing bonus episodes every time we have a guest and recaps and debriefs. So there's a really wonderful Austin Film Festival debrief in there that I personally pulled a lot from. So definitely worth checking out our Patreon if you haven't yet. I will link it in the description below. 
And now it's time to highlight all of you. Um, of course, these five-star Apple Podcast reviews are really what help our show get to the next level. So to those of you who are writing reviews, we just want to say thanks, and uh, you're helping other people find the show. I want to start with a five-star review from B. Candice Marie, who says, I always listen to this show before bed because it's the part of the day when I get to be intentional about my dreams, literal and aspirational. And I used to listen to the guy version of this type of podcast, but I felt like there were some prerequisites for that course, like how to face imposter syndrome 101. Your fabulous show starts where I think we all start, and your amazing work is the possibility of where we end up. It's the realness for me, so please keep going. I want to actually get to use my imaginary Oscar acceptance speech where I thank both of you for this podcast being a light in the darkness and for the audience to be like, yeah, I love that podcast too. (laughs) But if you need hard evidence for how your show helps me, this review is proof. I may have issues with syntax and grammar and my insecurities scream their mocking taunts and still I write because you need to know that I'm a screenwriter and that I learned that from all of you. Well, I love that review, Candice. Thanks so much. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, our thank you when you win your Oscar. All right, up next we have Robert Rev, who says, y'all are my therapy. So grateful for this podcast. I recently started working on my puke draft of a true crime story that I've been developing off and on for over 10 years. Listening to this podcast has been my therapy and exactly what I needed to buckle down and write. So much information about screenwriting and quieting that inner voice that tries to bring you down. Cheers to you, Jeff, Meg, and Lorian. Cheers to you, Robert, and good luck with your puke drafts. Uh, And again, thanks to everyone who tunes into the show. We're getting close to 500 uh, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, so keep them coming. We would love to get there before 2022. And until then, keep writing.